Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode 158 of the Sports Podcast. Tim Continenza, along with Anthony Kepley and Kevin Blackland, bringing you today's episode of Radio MVP. As uh, we're going to have some fun talking uh, the Super Bowl coming up and uh, kind of reviewing what's going on in baseball and uh, getting some uh, reactions uh, to our special guest last week in Eric Bolin from Newsday. Well, let me first of all just say hi to both Kevin and Anthony. How are you guys doing today? Well, good evening, Tim. We're doing great. Hey, Tim. Good. It's good to be back a week after a week off. Yeah, it's it's good to hear your voice again, Anthony. I'm glad to have you back. All right, last week, Kevin, uh, you and I had a had a really interesting podcast as we got all over the road, but we talked a lot about baseball towards the end and what was going on there and the Hall of Fame. And then uh, we happen to have uh, Eric Boland chime in afterwards. So well, just give me your impressions of what Eric had to say and, and anything that you may uh, remember or uh, that kind of caught your ears. Well, uh, the few points he made made me smile because uh, he uh, I felt like gave legitimacy to me because <laughs> he, he, he hammered over a lot of points that I had brought up. Uh, exactly. So I felt, yeah, I, I felt pretty good about that, that. Hey, there was somebody out there with some credentials that uh, agreed with me on, on on the feelings that I have, uh, you know, with with baseball and the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was a great conversation with Eric. And by the way, I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun. We talked for about a half hour before we recorded that, just catching up. And uh, it's hard to believe the amount of years that went by between the two of us talking. And uh, but he's going to be coming on again, hopefully, when baseball begins. Uh, I thought his most important thing was is you just only you could judge a player by the era he played and we don't know the number of players who were involved and will never will and you just have to to compare them to the players that they played against as simple as that and i and i happen to agree with them yeah and, and the one nugget that i really took away I, I think he said it towards the end uh and it was a statement that i had i actually had written down kind of in my notes but never really brought it up but I loved how he mentioned how could you possibly tell the history of baseball without having these guys in the Hall of Fame? That's yeah. that's the biggest thing. That's what that it's a museum at the end of the day, right? And you've got to tell the story, uh, whether whether it's good or bad press in the eyes of Major League Baseball, you've got to tell it. And there's no better place to do it than than the Baseball Hall of Fame. No, I totally agree, and that's exactly where it needs to be told. And shame on all those involved who punt and don't want to take their responsibility seriously. That's the way I've seen it. Go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, I just want to say this. You know, I completely agree with what everybody's said so far. And, you know, to completely ignore um, an era in our game is you can't do that. Like, like Kevin said, you have to tell a story. That's what the Hall of Fame does. It tells stories. And that era in baseball, while some may agree with it, may disagree with it, it tells a story of arguably three or four of the greatest power hitters to ever play in the game, as well as, you know, everyone's talking about the spirits and effects of hitting, but Roger Clemens had a pretty damn good career and he won a couple of World Series championships and a couple of Cy Youngs. To completely ignore uh, that era and that time period in baseball is downright criminal. And, you know, 
what these writers have become, your your job as a writer and a voter for a Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is to vote the best players in of that class. There are tons of fabulous players uh, that have gotten in, who have not gotten in, and who might, may or may not get in. My point is, the writers have become morality judges first. That's not their job. They were not put on this committee. They were not made a Hall of Fame voter to judge on morality because we're all taught to not sit in judgment of each other. I'm sure they've done stuff in their past that they would have brought up if the rules were flipped. And like Kevin said, you can't tell the story of baseball without Roger Clemens, without Barry Bonds. I'm going to... I'm going to hit it again. I know it's not steroids per se, but it goes along with morality and being the judge of that. It's downright criminal that Pete Rose is not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He's one of the top ten greatest hitters of all time. The stats prove it. You cannot keep him out because of that. And I feel like too much we've gotten to where we want to judge morality and judge a person if they're good or not, than judge them by the numbers, which is what baseball's Hall of Fame and every Hall of Fame is supposed to do. You're put in the Hall of Fame based on your numbers that you put up. And Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds were two of the greatest players in their era, and have stretched multiple eras, if you want to say that, that this game has ever seen. You know, it's not their job to say, oh, well, Hank Aaron's a home run king based on he didn't take steroids. And Tim, like you said at the top, we don't know for sure an exact amount how many guys did steroids, how many guys did not do steroids. We we don't know. Um, And that's not our job to decipher. Our job is to talk about, based on the numbers, who is the best player or the best players in that class and worthy of induction into the Hall of Fame. And then when they get in, you can tell their story in that era that they played in. It's not their fault that they played in that era. It's their fault that it's steroids, but we can't totally wipe away that era. We can't ignore it because it was was some of the best baseball we've ever seen. And to me, I feel like the, the voters have become too much of judging on character than the actual numbers. And that was one of the points that Eric brought up was, you know, we're, we're focusing on the players that are, that are hall of fame caliber that took the steroids. Uh-huh. But, you know, he, he, I think he ventured to say, you know, he's heard numbers as low as 30% and as high as what, 60% Tim, of, yeah. of players that were actually taking something. And, and the thing is the pitchers were taking them. So even exactly. though these hitters get accused of it, you know, they were, they were, you know, getting pitched to by pitchers that were also on steroids. So, yeah, it's an entire era that you've got to – you still have to wrap around the fact that – you because know, you go back and look at numbers that, you know, Babe Ruth put up, and, and, and you, you have to compare those eras because, you know, the, the regimens weren't out there at the time, and, and you don't know the talent level, the talent pool that was available at that time as it is compared to now. I mean, everything's diluted if, if you try to – span it over, you know, decades of, of play. So, 
yeah, you got to judge it by the era that they were in, and these were the best players of that era. As simple as that. And there's, I think we said everything that needs to be said and recapped about uh, the Hall of Fame and uh, our uh, special guest and Eric Boland last week. Guys, we have a small agreement in baseball, making a little increment in progress. They have agreed to, here's a shock, Anthony, what did I say two years ago? Universal DH. And the conversation for free agents now goes back to where it non-existed. Go ahead. Yeah, I I mean, it was only a matter of time, right, Tim, before the Universal DH became permanent in baseball. Um Tim, like you and I have talked about on the podcast, off the podcast, um, we are baseball purists. We are baseball traditionalists. We we love the game. We can sit down and watch the game. I enjoy watching it, the National League game. Uh, as a Guardians fan, I can still respect and appreciate watching National League baseball with the pitcher sitting and all that. However... It made too much sense to where while we were playing with two different sets of rules in 2022, it extends guys' careers. And there are a lot of phenomenal hitters that can have their careers extended because of this agreement. And I'll just go to Nelson Cruz real quick because he's getting up there over 40 years old. But last year you would have never known he's 40 years old. And it would have been a shame if – 15 teams pass on him for money reasons or for they already have guys or they, you know, don't want to take a chance on his age, but 15 other teams don't get that chance. And to me, it just makes the game that more interesting. And I disagree with some of the people saying, oh, it's going to take away from the strategy. No, it's not. Because now the National League pitchers are going to have to game plan and prepare for some of the game's best power hitters and some of the game's best players. And it also gives managers, I think we've seen it, uh, Kevin Cash has started it in Tampa Bay. Uh, Terry Francona has done a great job of it. You know, the DH can also be used to give guys days off their feet in the field but still get that bat to light up. You know, we'll see Jose Ramirez DH what? Once, maybe twice a week, Tim? You know, depending on um, what they have going on. I did it's a no-brainer. I'm still concerned with the fact that we're only meeting once a week, once every week and a half, and it's February the, what, 9th, 10th? Yeah, That's really 10th. concerning to me. Um, you know, they can sit here all they want and say, oh, we're on, we're on target for a month long of spring training and opening day is going to start on time. It's February 10th. These guys got to get into camp and get going. You know, we don't want what would be, I think we can all agree, Kevin and Tim, we're going to miss regular season games. And that sucks as a fan for all of us. It sucks for me personally who has season tickets is going to miss games again for the second time in three years. But I think what we can agree on is if we don't have a full spring training and it results in more injuries a la Shane Bieber, a la Blake Snell, guys who have had arm injuries, Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom. You know, DeGrom and Bieber, before they got hurt, were on pace to have career-setting years, historic years in our game. If we cut corners, we don't want 
the injury to go up and cost this game its stars because baseball does a terrible job marketing its stars already as it is. You imagine if the stars are not even playing because they're hurt because of negligence by the CBA. That's just my two cents there. Kevin? Yeah, I actually want to comment that it only took about 90 seconds for Anthony to probably change my mind on how I would feel about the universal DH. Um, because, yeah, I, I am more of the, the purist, and I grew mm-hmm. up, I'm, an Atlanta, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan, so um, you know I'm, I'm more used to inclined to, to watch National League Baseball. And I do agree with the – I feel like there's more strategy by having the pitcher mm-hmm. hit because then you got to make the choice of whether or not you want to want to take him out. But I never thought about the – uh, the aspect of, you know, like a player like Nelson Cruz extending his career and the fact that he was limited to basically half the teams in the league uh, that yeah. could use his services. So, and that's just one player example. Uh, okay. At the end of the day, I, you know, I definitely, even before you made those points, I, I could have been uh, persuaded to, to having the universal DH. I 100% agree it needs to be the same way, one way or uh-huh. another. So in the moment that the DH happened, in the 70s, it should have it should have been on the table back then. I can't believe it's taken this long. You know, it's uh, you know, interesting. My whole lifetime. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It, you're, you're right because it was actually agreed upon in the early 80s to bring uh, the DH to the National League, and then they a couple teams at the last moment, including the I think it was the Pirates, balked at it at the last minute because they were afraid about the backlash and. Basically, stop that from happening. And next thing you know, here we are in 2022, uh, finally getting to this. And quite honest with you, if there was one blessing from the pandemic season of 2020 is that they had to put in certain rules, you know, for safety and for universal use and how they try to, you know, make the game more uh, appealing to stay-at-home fans was the, the the DH universally, and it made total sense. I thought for sure once that happened, it would be in last year. Uh, the players just didn't want to give it away. They wanted something for it, and they got something for it, and that now if you're a free agent, there's no compensation if you for that team you leave. And quite honest with you, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, you know, you sign a contract, you play your contract, as a free agent, you mm-hmm. should have the ability to negotiate your best deal uh, with any team yep. that's out there and not be uh, hampered in there saying, well, I don't want to give up, you know, like seven, eight years ago, a first-round draft pick or a third-round draft pick because mm-hmm. now they're so much more valued than they were 15, 20 years ago. So, uh, you know, the game has changed. You needed to do that. And the players were smart enough to recognize that it's a small issue, but you got to get something for it. And they did. And now the competitive balance issue, the minimum salary issue, and possibly a ceiling floor for teams to meet. I mean, that's where the sticking point's going to be. But to be quite honest with you, I don't think the players are wrong on any of those issues. So it's just a matter of the owners trying to figure out what works best for them going forward. Because I don't think... I honestly don't believe it hurts baseball to have a minimum floor for teams to compete at. Uh, I think uh, as for minimum 
salary requirements. That happens every year in every CBA. So that's going to get done. Yeah. Quite honest with you, it's around two hundred what fifteen million, two hundred twenty million dollars right now for the the threshold for the taxes. I mean, that's basically a, a de facto uh, salary cap. And now they just have to re- yeah. they have to basically come to an agreement, whatever they believe is fair. That's going to be above that, and that's exactly what's going to happen. But you know, the idea of let's say the Indians or the Pirates or the Twins or whoever it may be having a seven or eight million dollar payroll for the entire season really can't happen. It's bad for the game and it's bad for uh, just the look to sports fans. I completely agree with that, Tim. It is almost any sport. Baseball has done the worst job of progressing into the modern age. And we need to get to the modern age. At some point, we need to get there. We, uh, that doesn't mean that you quit with your traditions and your your traditional rules and all that. But Tim, I completely agree with you about the floor. Uh, I believe the proposal is what a hundred million dollars. Is that what they're? Uh, you know, I'm not sure it will be that high. I don't know the exact numbers, but you can't have. You cannot have five or six teams spending below $50 million while you have players out there who are making more than that. Exactly. You know, like, how long, and I'd be interested to go back and look at it, and I'm just going to throw this out there because it's two of the franchises that historically have not been very good outside of a couple years, the last 30 years. But, when was the last time, consistently, I mean, a, a five-year window, when the Pirates and the Marlins, um, the Orioles, have spent above $50, 60000000 million? You know, you're, every single season, the Pirates were basically punting on it. Um, and if you, if you enact that floor, um, I just think you're making the game on a more even playing field. Um, and, you know, be quite honest, these small markets, Tampa Bay and Cleveland and even Oakland for the most part, um, you know, I just think it will help them even more. And, you know, I'll go personal with Kevin. If you tell the Braves, and, you know, I don't really know the Braves' historic aspects financially, Kevin, but I believe, as a baseball fan, it's, it's it's obvious that the Braves are one of the best at developing their own talent and sprinkling that in with free agency. And if you give the Braves a minimum of what they must spend, um, uh, you're going to have even greater runs than the Braves have already had, and they've had some of the best runs in Major League Baseball history. Well, uh, yeah. I, the one thing I thought of when he brought up the Pirates, I mean, they're, I, I would love to table this conversation and, and bring – uh, a gentleman that's been a fan uh, for you know 30, 40 years, and he he's had it. He is he's he's done. Um, you know, as of the end of last year, with you know the fact that they're, it's almost like it, it, it's glaringly obvious they're not even trying to win. You know, as soon as a player they do develop gets good, he's gone. They trade him. They won't find anybody. Won't pick anybody up in free agency. And it's not even just the low payroll that they have. 
It's the fact that they're the fourth most profitable team in Major League Baseball. You right. know, like that's crazy. Like, and that's what they care about. They're making money, so who cares if we have to put a winning product on the field? Uh, and and that's where you know the TV money comes into play because they got they probably have the most beautiful park in all of baseball, but they don't draw. But for opening night and you know maybe if the Yankees come to town, it's a good crowd. But I mean, there's there's empty seats galore in that stadium uh, because they're not putting a product on the field and they're not trying to compete at all. Yeah, I think that that's exactly what's going on in baseball and it needs to be addressed. And look, it's not going to be an easy road. I think Eric put in a timetable that if it's signed by March 1st, we could probably have a regular season, you know, on time. And I do believe you can get pitchers and regular day players ready within a month. However, if this goes uh-huh. to like a month from now, March 10th, uh, yeah, you're going to start uh-huh. losing games. There's just no way it's yeah. not going to happen. And then and, and that's unfortunate. And that's where we're at. However, uh, there's another game going on this weekend that's actually playing. Uh, it's not just negotiating a contract. It is uh, the NFL with the Super Bowl. And I want to say not two surprise teams, but definitely one shocking team. If you said this prediction in September, no one would believe you in Cincinnati. If you said L.A., you would say it would be a tough road to get there, but they they have the talent. Tim, they- you know, just to touch on, I have not watched any of the playoffs, but last week traveling back, I was listening to Dan Patrick. And Dan Patrick brought up the point, as you mentioned, in September, if you would have said the Cincinnati Bengals were going to go to the Super Bowl, most people would have laughed at you and shut you in the white padded room. Um, Zach Taylor had the second highest odds going into the season of any head coach to be fired. Yeah. The Bengals had top five lowest odds as a team to make the Super Bowl. That's incredible. But to see Joe Burrow have this kind of success, I don't think it's any bit of a surprise to the three of us from Northeast Ohio um, who knew what kind of player he was coming out of Athens, going to Ohio State, and then also what he did at LSU was incredible. Yeah, well, they built a great team. <laughs> they really did. They built a great uh-huh. team, and they have two superstars, and, and Joe you know, Burrow and uh, Jamar Chase, both from LSU and back-to-back seasons, and made a huge difference to that offense. And their defense doesn't get enough credit for making plays when they need to. And quite honestly, they're an exciting team to watch. Uh, they're a little cocky at times, which is kind of good. I, I like that that attitude that, uh, you know, no one's paying attention to us, and we're pretty damn good. So I'm actually looking forward to this, uh, this Super Bowl. I think we could be... Uh, a highly entertained game. Yeah. So, uniquely, I was in Cincinnati uh, opening day uh, to see to see my Vikings there, and I remember Saturday night we went out um, to a bar with some of the the Viking uh, friends that I have, and, and some some guys that were from Minnesota, and they were playing "Welcome to the Jungle," which obviously is you know the bang that's what they come out to at the stadium. And we started singing School Vikings over top of that. And they kept playing the song over and over again because as soon as the song would end, we would sing. And we had such a great time. And I remember thinking, I was so confident, right? Like, I, I was looking at the Vikings schedule going, we absolutely need to win this game because we've got two tough ones coming up. There's no way we're going to lose to the Cincinnati Bengals, right? 
And, and just think about that weekend. And at the end of the season, I'm going to get ready to watch them in the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it's hard to wrap my head around. It was a great game. Game went to overtime. Uh, Minnesota was actually driving to win it. They fumbled it. And uh, the, the rookie kicker nailed a 50-yarder to win. So um, I'm excited for him. I, I, I met some really cool people there that weekend. Uh, I'm a thousand percent rooting for him. I'm sticking with my prediction from last week. Same score, thirty to twenty-seven. Um, and I really, really hope. I don't know if you guys heard in, in the media day today that uh, Uzama, the tight end for the Bengals, uh, said if he wins, he is taking a bath uh, in a tub full of Skyline chili. So I'm a hundred percent on board for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely want to see them win just for that. <laughs> I will say, uh, you know, I'm rooting for them. I really, I truly think they're going to win, but I don't, I really, really would be happy for Matthew Stafford uh, if he won it and would not be upset uh, if if the Rams Rams took it home. But um, I I think it's going to be more Bengals fans than Rams fans there, uh, even with it being at home. Uh, So the the home field advantage isn't going to be what it was last year uh, for Tampa Bay. I, you know, Personally, to me, uh, I don't really have a preference who wins. I probably won't watch much, but it would be nice to see Von Miller get a second ring. Um, you know, knowing what Von's gone through the last couple years with injuries and COVID and dealing with that and then be- being traded from a place that drafted him. Uh, I've told people at work, and especially a Rand fan at work, that the regular season of Von Miller is really good. Playoff Von Miller is just different, and now uh, you team him up with Aaron Donald, um, and that's a scary pass rush. Uh, that is one way to negate a strong quarterback. But in the NFL and football nowadays, if you don't have a great quarterback, you can't win, and uh, the Bengals have a great quarterback. Say, with you two uh, being fans of teams in the AFC, uh, <laughs> you're in for a long decade because between Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, I think you're going to see, you know, kind of like the the Brady, Peyton, Roethlisberger, right? Where I think there's some kind of stat out there that in, in 15 years those are the only three quarterbacks out of the AFC or or something like that. That yeah. I think you're going to see that kind of stat. I would love to revisit that in another decade. Uh, you know, none of I don't think any of the three are ever. Nobody's ever going to touch you know, or catch Brady again. But th- these three quarterbacks would all be capable of it if they didn't have the other guy in their way. Um, and, and I think that's what's going to happen uh, in, in the next decade. Again, you know, barring any horrific injury or anything of that nature, uh, these those three quarterbacks are legit, and the AFC is going to be dominated by those three for, you know, for quite some time. Just to hammer home your point about Brady real quickly, you look at he went to 10 Super Bowls, he won seven of them. And you look at, the next court, two quarterbacks who won multiple championships during that his same era are Ben Roethlisberger, who just re- retired at the same time, and Peyton Manning, who retired a few years back. Both of them with two Super Bowl wins. That's only four, and Brady still had three more <laughs> by himself. I mean, and, and appeared in three more. Hey, so I mean, it is really is an amazing thing. As, ma- as amazing as it sounds, sometimes you got to put Eli Manning in there. Yeah, uh, you know, with, with his brother, with his two, and, yeah, uh, and Ben. I mean, he he has two as well now, and and that's probably I think there's no question. Obviously, Peyton Brady 
uh, Roethlisberger, all Hall of Fame. I think the biggest fringe one is probably Eli. And if you really look at his numbers, the if he doesn't have those two Super Bowls, he's got a losing record all time. You know, a ton of interceptions. I mean, I don't. And you could argue that those those Giants teams won based on their defense. But if you look at what Eli did in those playoff runs, he was phenomenal. So I mean, he had I I believe the one the one playoff run. He had nine or ten touchdown passes, zero interceptions. Right. So you, you can't argue against that at all. I think he performed when he needed to perform, but it was you know getting to the playoffs was was the problem for him. When he got there, he was he succeeded and he beat Brady twice. I mean that's you can't argue against that. But I think if I had to pick, I would say he's not going to go to the Hall of Fame. But the way the Hall of Fame's going these days, they're they're letting a lot of people in. I think sooner or later he'll get in. Maybe later than sooner, but I think Eli will probably get in. Being in New York market, being a quarterback that won two Super Bowls, I think almost pretty much guarantee that he will eventually get in. And maybe not be a first ballot type guy, but he will definitely get in sometime. Looking at the Super Bowl, um, I look at Los Angeles. I look at the Rams and what they're able to achieve. And you look at someone like Stafford. This is his. This is his entry into the Hall of Fame. I mean, to leave Detroit and in his first season with with the Rams to lead him to a Super Bowl, barring a a special team type victory, meaning you know the defense intercepts the ball and takes it to to the house and a, a punt or kickoff return. There are the big plays in the game. Chances are, this is his ticket to that, and. His numbers are always been good. I mean, he's a throwback type quarterback in my eyes as a gunslinger. Uh, he's not afraid to throw it into small spaces and kind of Brett Favre-like, he'll take his chances. If he succeeds, it, it, I think this is his opportunity to be there. As for Joe Burrow being a second-year guy coming off an ACL injury in his rookie year, I, I you know, we... The, the singing of his praises will never stop, at least not for the next few years. And I think of anything, what you just said earlier, Kevin, is he and Mahomes, be, both being AFC quarterbacks, will be probably the top two quarterbacks that everyone's going to talk about for the next 10 years in the AFC. And take away nothing from any quarterback in the NFC, but that's the path that, Brady had to face, in a sense, when he had Roethlisberger and he had uh, Peyton Manning, you know, in the same conference. So, I think yep. it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the next uh, eight to ten years, because I really love that way Cincinnati has been uh, built. But I look at Los Angeles built totally different through trades, and uh, you know, very few players really drafted. High, they traded those all away to to get the players they've landed, but they have the best maybe yeah two, yeah yeah like I said they have You're the best right. wide receiver two, and everything you know two con, uh, contrasting differences on how these two teams were got to the Super Bowl right I mean the Rams are arguably you know yeah, there's a salary cap in the NFL so it's not not like baseball but I mean it's almost like the best team money can buy in a way um, and then you look at the the Bengals have done it all you know through the draft so. Um, I, I, that's, it's, it's intriguing that way, you know? Um, but 
yeah, to Stafford's point, you know, I, I think he is a Hall of Famer myself, uh, based on the on the numbers as well. And he's been the quarterback for the two, arguably the two best wide receiving seasons by a player. Yeah, he had with Calvin Johnson in I believe 2013, and um, with Cooper Cup this year. So, um, I think it's definitely going to be an interesting Super Bowl. Are you still picking? A blowout? You were kind of... Yeah, I was kind of... Yeah, I did. I uh, Last week, Anthony, I was talking online, and I just, you know, having fun. And I said, all right. Everyone was picking the Rams. I said, nah, it's going to be just the opposite. I said, the Bengals, 34-17. <laughs> um, so, yeah, since I already said that last week, I'll, I'll keep it. I'm going to keep it, and uh, it probably won't be even close to those numbers. And if you're a smart betting man, always get bet against me. I'm sorry, Cincinnati uh, Bengal fans. Just uh, it is what it is, and maybe I actually will have some some magic. The last really good pick I ever had was the Giants making their two two Super Bowl runs. So uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but I'll say this: You mentioned this early, uh, Kevin, uh, about McPherson kicking the fifty-yarder as a rookie in his first game to win the game uh, against Minnesota. To see that weapon develop all season long and see what he's done in the postseason, uh, he may be the most important player for Cincinnati to just to get points on the scoreboard to keep this interesting. Comes down to the end, his. His bravado and his ability to, you know, to say, "Hey, we're going to," I wouldn't be shocked if you hear him on the sideline. Hey, we just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I hope so. It should be fun, uh, Kevin. Uh, I don't know what else to say. We're just about out of time here. If there's anything you want to add to the Super Bowl, it should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to my squares. I'm going to bring my uh, my sheet with me, and I'll be rooting for quarters. <laughs> That's right. That's, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. When I lose, it's how much money that I make. It really does. It's, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, hey, I want to thank you again for the last couple of weeks coming on the podcast. Always open invitation. I can't wait to uh, to sit down. Maybe we'll actually do this down at Westside Bowl one day and have all, everybody uh, gather in and have some fun talking uh, about everything. Sounds good, Sam. I appreciate it. All right, for Kevin Blackland and for Anthony Kepley, I'm Tim Continenza wishing you all a wonderful good day. This is or has been RadioMVP.com. Remember to tell your family, friends, and enemies as we continue to promote Radio MVP. Have a great night, everyone.